0: You're listening to Travel Tales with Virgil.
1: In terms of peak performance, the highest performance that you can have in the sport is the lines. You do know when every, every guy who dances national jersey, if he wants to play at the top level, he will have to go and play on the lines because pretty much everything is stacked against you. So that makes us fantastic and it's rare it is a, it's one of those things that you do want to do but you want to go on it and you want to win the bloody thing so if you go on one and you don't win it you really need to go again because you need to rectify that thing so i think everything's stacked against you
0: that is the voice of former ireland and line rugby legend keith wood we may not be able to travel at the moment but we can still hear people's great travel stories and dream of future travels today keith talks about his travels through his rugby career with Ireland and the Lions. He tells us about his favourite countries, stadiums and cities to play in. He talks about playing at two World Cups and going to the Tokyo World Cup and playing in two Lions tours, one in South Africa and one in Australia. But what really shines true is his love for his home county Clare and particularly the town of Killaloo. You're very welcome to the podcast, Keith. You would normally be travelling a lot. Uh, how have you found lockdown?
1: It's been a bit magic, actually. It's been, um, it's, you know, I think lockdown was was kind of crazy and brilliant in equal measure. It's crazy because of all the the, the downsides and the illness and the deaths and um, I think the devastation that that causes for the country. And yet, for me, it was the first break um, I, I've ever really properly taken and. I think after the first two weeks when I went slightly psychotic and tried to fix the world myself and then realised that you can't do that stuff, um, I took six weeks off and the weather was beautiful. And um, I think it was the appropriate weather for everybody when they had to stay at home. So if you're looking for lockdown, I think um, a little bit of clear is no harm.
0: Did you try the, the seaweed bats in Clahan in the scanner?: or? Uh,
1: My family did. Okay. I did.
0: You didn't. It looked great. Time, my last
1: time doing seaweed baths was um, uh, was in Ballybunion with uh, with John B Keen's son, with Billy Keen and Anthony Foley. It was a long time ago. We'd been playing golf in Ballybunion, uh, and for the record, Billy Keane is a truly appalling golfer. And we went into the, the bats, at the baths, which are scaldingly hot, and it was fantastic. And then, of course, you run out and you you run into the sea, and it's freezing. The sea was about half a mile out. We were absolutely shattered by the time we got out there. And, uh, but it was, yeah, it was great. So I like that idea of the bats. I think they're fantastic. Yeah, no, no, my family were down in, in Clon, yeah. which was which was brilliant because um, I think a lot of people use them over, over the summer. They're a great idea, something a bit different.
0: It's my favourite spot. That's where I love going swimming off the rocks there. And uh, I just saw it advertised, but I didn't get a chance. I'll have to try it out. So you'd be very well known as obviously as a Clareman. I saw that during the summer you were you're on the Clare Rushmore now. Great honor.
1: There you are, absolutely. We we'll take it. We'll
0: and um, you were talking on that about your hurling. So you were you were as well as being a rugby player. You were I know you played soccer and you played hurling as well, didn't you?
1: Sports, Billy. Um, whatever was on, we played, which is I think the part of every Irish family something very similar. Um, we, look, my dad played for Ireland, played for the Lions, so we. We we're a rugby house, but we played everything that was going. Um, I was a decent hurler until I started getting bigger, and then I was a dangerous hurler and um, um, still fast in a straight line. But hurling is a game of agility. Um, and um, of all the words you could use for me, agility is not one of them, which you'd know yourself. But I love it. Still my favourite game to watch. Uh, but it's the highest skill component at? At a million miles an hour, and to see the joy. And I went back, and helped coach the, the hurling team in about 10 years ago, and it was nice to kind of go back and do it. But I had um, uh, I tried to remember the skills I had and the skills I didn't have. Uh, the joy of watching a guy running at full tilt and putting a ball over the bar without breaking step is one of the great things of sports. So it's a skill I don't have. I thought I did have it, but I actually didn't have it. So um, my
0: memory is affected. You actually played underage with Clare. You played with James O'Connor, didn't you?
1: Yeah, that's my claim to fame. James, he was my wing forward. Um, I was centre forward and, uh, and he was magic. It was like playing with an artist when you played hurling with James. I, I loved it, but again, as I say, I was just getting big. So um, it, I kind of moved away from it pretty quickly.
0: And your first cap for Ireland um, was in Australia, isn't that right?
1: Ballymore in Brisbane, yeah, in 94.
0: So I, I read a line, it said it was like the last great amateur tour.
1: Oh, well, it was. Well, that was, and I think the Lions was in 97. Um, it was trying to figure out what professionalism meant or we weren't in 94 um, and the game then changed afterwards and it became far more serious, far more analytical. Um, But there was a kind of great joy to play at a time where your attitude was pretty professional, but not fully professional. It wasn't my job. It was I was working at the bank at the time. It was a phenomenal opportunity to go away as a young fellow and go to Australia, which would be one of my favourite places to go to anyway. Um, my first time there, and I went, I, I, don't know, I toured there five or six times, um, and I'm there sometimes on work. It's a great place. The the Aussies and the Irish are very similar. Um, they just have more sun all the time. And. <laughs> their idea of uh, outside activity doesn't require a range of coats and so it's, it's a pretty good place. I like it. One of my favourite places uh, in the World Cup 2003, I retired there as well. So I started and retired there. We were based a couple of hours north of Sydney in a little uh, surf town called Terrigal. Lovely little sleepy surf town. And But just dealing with all the people, all the locality. So I'd get up for breakfast. I'm, I'm an early riser and I'd get up for breakfast to go down to the surf club with all the guys who had retired so they're all in their 70s and 80s and they're going down and they're all walking and exercising on the beach every single morning. And uh, and so that was kind of quite amazing. I'd go down and get a chat with them and in the afternoon then I'd go out onto the rocks and sit down and just put out a, a couple of pillows and sit down and read a book on the rocks and you have the huge crashing waves in over the top. It was, it was brilliant. It was as close to West Clare albeit about 25 degrees warmer but it was amazing. It was a great place to kind of go and chill out. So even in the midst of World Cups and stuff like that, you do need a bit of a break and you need a bit of time on your own.
0: Because it has that, I, I've been to Byron Bay and a few places around there and it has that very relaxed atmosphere, isn't it? It's tropical.
1: It's like the best
0: summer days,
1: you know, and, but a lot of their days are like that. So that's kind of interesting.
0: And I've, I've read other players saying that they particularly loved going to Australia because um, you can kind of get lost there. You can go to the shops and, you know, because it's so big, you can get away. Like in New Zealand, it's a bit more pressure cooker.
1: can't go outside the hotel in New Zealand because rugby is the religion. Um, Australia, is it's uh, it's a lot easier, but still, there's, it's a sports-mad country. So, you know, you're going to... Uh, I'm recognisable. I've been bald for most of my life, so it, it hasn't kind of changed. And so that was... You'd be immediately recognisable then. And But... They're fans of sport, so it's pretty good. I mean, they slag you. They give you a hard time. They give you a hard time in Australia always, but there's a, it's a tongue-in-cheek thing. And yeah. And if you're in any way a risk to them winning a match, they go after you in Australia, which I always took, took as a mark of respect.
0: That tour in 94, I heard Victor Costello say a great line, saying it was the last great drinking tour, <laughs> because it was that era, you know.
1: Was a, there was a bit of that too, and it was like rugby. For for for, it's funny because we often think of it as being an Irish thing, and it's not an Irish thing. It was uh, you'd play a match, and you'd have a beer with the guy you played opposite. You know, and that was always the case at that stage. That's far less the case now, um, but that was that was a big feature of then. And but you also get to build friendships that are like that was nearly whatever that is twenty six years ago. I have friends that from um from the Australian team are still great friends to this day. So and that's because of things like that. So there are things that that are gained in professionalism, but some things are lost as well.
0: And you were kind of lucky because you got to experience both, you know, like now Kids in school are practically professional. There was a lot of things in that era in, in amateurism that were great.
1: I remember uh, Ian McGeegan once saying, um, we've he's been criticised in the, I'd say, 2005, 2009. And he said, when did amateurism become a word for a negative word? It used to be a very positive word. And I think each time has its benefits and, uh, and negatives and um, in that period of time, we got a, a mix of both. I'd still love to play today. I'd love if I was starting out now, knowing that this was a job that you could have. Um, it was a hobby for me. I never really thought I'd play for Ireland and I never thought it would become professional. So that wasn't part of my planning or, or, or thinking at that time. Now you look at it and say, yeah, this is something you have to look at. You can do it. How do you plot it out? How do you maximize your ability? Um, it's a very short window to have. But it's a great window to have. And it's one of those great things that you can say, Wow, I was a professional sportsman. That's a nice thing to, to be able to go. And it's, it's a tough job. I mean, it is very tough. And um, people think they get you get paid lots of money. And actually, some of the guys do know. And that's a fantastic place to be. But you have an open appraisal every Saturday. And if you're playing international rugby, it could be five or six million people watching it on the television. And uh, that's a hard place to have an appraisal. And you have to be able to weigh those things up. And some people are able to deal with that and some people aren't. So it's a tough job. Admiration for, for, for young fellas that think that this is something that they're going to do. I think it's a, sometimes you have to be careful what you wish for, but also it's, it's not an easy path, actually.
0: And the careers are kind of shortening now, aren't they? I mean, they
1: are short, but do you know what? When your career is over, I retired at 31. When your career is over, you start again. And what are you going to do for the rest of your life? You're going to work. I was fortunate that I had set up a couple of companies when I was 22 or 23. And I always worked. So I worked all the way through my rugby career because that kind of kept me sane, if that's what you would call it. And, you know, I, I just I liked it for, for, for that reason. So work for me wasn't a huge hardship when I retired. It was just the next stage for me. But for the guys that are in and around it now, they have to try and plot what's going to happen
0: afterwards. And also the skills you learn, you know, are transferable then to business and to life, aren't they? Very much.
1: They are. They need a conduit to be transferable. So they're not immediately transferable. So some elements really are your sense of team, your sense of self-belief, a confidence that you have to have, the coachability that you have to have as a sportsman. They are easily translated, but you do need a filter for them to to work away from. uh, the bubble of sport is is incredibly selfish. That's all you're only thinking in that line. You're not ever thinking outside those lines. So, you do. You need you need a filter to to go through after after sport to to ease into business. But uh, it can happen.
0: And your your club career where you were in Harlequins. So you spent how many, how many years were you there? Seven, eight years, nine years? I, in, I stayed in England for 14 years. Did you? Okay.
1: Um, I was in quins for. From 96 to 2003.
0: So did you l- live in London all that time? In London, loved
1: it. Um, thought it was a fantastic place to live. It's one of my favourite cities, still is one of my favourite cities. I love London, I think it's an amazing city. I'm missing London at the moment because I'm normally there every week, so um, I'd still do a lot of work over there. And um, for me, it's funny, you, you, you fly into Heathrow and you go down into the uh, uh, Paddington Express and uh, there's just a different beat. You know, it's just it's far busier, but it just has a different sense about it. Um, uh, yeah, I like it. I, I just think it's a great city. I think there's something fantastic about it. I love the parks in the city. Uh, I love all the different com- component parts. Of it, but even down in the dead centre of the city is pretty fantastic.
0: What other cities around the world do you like?
1: I love... Uh, Sydney, it's an amazing city. Um, it's a great city to to visit. Don't know that I'd want to live there. I think it's too hot for me, but that's that's okay. Uh, I love Montreal. It's an amazing city. Um, it's just very different. It's a blend of French and English. It's quite interesting for that. Um, uh, I like Chicago, um, partly because Ireland beat the All Blacks there. I think it was something
0: nice. Were you there that weekend? Or
1: definitely was there. He
0: yeah, I like, I, like I,
1: I kind of like most places for the bits that are different. Yeah. I like cities. Struggle a bit in New York. I think it's a bit too manic. Um, I, you struggle in Hong Kong. It's definitely too, uh, it's just too busy, too constantly busy. And strangely, as I get older, but not even as older, I used to, I was young. I like the sort of outer, outer reaches where you can. So if I was to say where is the place I'd like to sit and chill out the most, i um, i'd like to go to west clare and i just i love the crashing of the waves i love the sound of the waves um i love that smell that's there and the big sky you know and it's and it's clear air as well so it's um uh next up new york from 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 west clare you know so yeah and uh, that's where one half my family comes from so they come from outside Quilty. so yeah it's just something that uh that seems to kind of breathe air to me really
0: and say for what you're in your Ireland days, was there a particular city that you loved over others? Like, you know, so in the six nations for traveling to like Paris or, you know,
1: Absolutely. So I love Rome. Paris again was too busy and you're, when you're playing matches. You're it's, it's kind of, it's too big. You're having to travel across different areas. Uh, London is too big for an international match for me. Uh, Cardiff is too small. Um, Edinburgh, nearly the same, you know. Uh, so, like, for me, Lansdowne Road was just, was the best place of all of all time. Um, there, the noise in the Berkeley court before we'd go to matches, you'd have to go down through the, the lift and go out through the, the crowd in the foyer before you'd get in the bus to go to the ground, even though it was only a couple of hundred yards, was amazing. And, uh, and the ground was amazing. But I loved... Um, I loved I loved Rome, so I studied Latin in, in St. Munons, and so we always had that was part you know the Roman history, and then it's a living breathing history. you know that you turn one corner and suddenly there's uh, there's a, a, a pillar that's half underground and surrounded in glass to show you that this was a particular foundation of, of some corner of, of some place or whatever, but it was fantastic. I mean, I love it
0: fantastic. I saw a great clip of you actually, it was during, it was before, on BBC, you were jogging, you you were your morning jog um, around the city and that must be amazing.
1: That was an amazing amazing thing to kind of go in parts and I would have a very set routine of where I like to go, what I love doing there, there's a little cafe that I like and a whole load of different things and we said let's do it for the crack. Uh, I was dressed in white in that particular one. The guys were slagging me that I looked like a, a milk bottle with white legs. But it was, um, yeah, it's a great. It's a, that is a great city.
0: I've I've experienced that with you, like on uh, skiing trips where you go. You were up early doing your your early morning or even jogs after. I'd be wrecked after skiing, and you you'd still go off and go for a for a jog, wouldn't you?
1: It's important, I think you're supposed to stay some way fit and my skiing, I'm not aesthetically pretty and skiing, I'm not aesthetically pretty anyway. But um yeah, I look I love that that idea of, of skiing and that's how we got to know each other, um, which is you know, through friends, but uh was through that sense of camaraderie that you have with it. Also the sense of doing that with your kids and um like we had seven or eight different families all in, in France skiing for, for years and years and all learning along the way. And the crack that you have for that is just fantastic, but it's a great holiday to, to have and go. And I was running, I, I definitely only ran in on a couple of uh, skiing trips. I can't remember what I, I wasn't running for anything in particular, but uh, um, yeah, I do. It's important to stay some way fit, you know, and, mm. I find if I exercise at all, it kind of delays um, uh, all the punishment I, I gave to my body over the years, which, which is fine. So I'm in, I'm in good shape now For considering I'm not, um, uh, I'm not trying to run through walls anymore. It makes a big difference.
0: Where you skied is uh, Léger beside Morzine. Um, I have to say it's my favorite place, particularly f- for families like it, it, it it's a gorgeous resort isn't it very relaxed and it, it is but it's picture postcard and,
1: um where you go and there's lovely restaurants on the mountain and and the people are pretty friendly and but it's it's varying levels of difficulty not too difficult and I think it's great for us because it puts our ego back in the box. We, we tend not to go mad on it. and the, There's a few black runs, but not too many. And we're very yeah, careful when we go down those or not. And, but it's family-friendly. It's, a very, it's a, an easy place to go. We got to know everybody. So we, we know all the instructors. There are friends who lived there. And you know, you kind of become part of the community, albeit only for a week or two every year. Do you know what? I like skiing. And I think it's 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 a lovely thing to do. I've skied in maybe five or six different places over the years. Uh, I'd still quite go back to Leger because I think it's nice and easy. And we're not skiing for the biggest challenge of all time. And that's one of the things when... I sound like an old fuddy-duddy, but I'm definitely getting towards being a bit of an old fuddy-duddy, is that I want to enjoy it. I'm not looking for a challenge. This is the challenge for me. This is relaxation and chilling
0: out. I I, I love seeing those French guys, you know, about 70 or 80, their wooden skis, you know, just cruising down the hill, you know.
1: Yeah, well, that won't be ever. (laughs) Because neither of us are as fluent as they are. (laughs) Yeah, but there is something nice about that too, you know, that, that's kind of part and parcel of it. It's a way of, for me, it's a lovely sociability and skiing is incredibly sociable.
0: And would there be somewhere you'd go to if it wasn't, like if it was uh, with mates rather than family, is there a resort that you'd yeah. recommend? I,
1: I learned in Zermatt, which is um, uh, much higher, much more difficult, um, uh, I had a friend of mine uh, who... who pretty much forced me to go uh, skiing. So I, I thank him and curse him for that. But um, uh, And that's, that's, a, that's a wonderful place. But what I loved about Leger, actually, it's, it's, it's ease, uh, accessibility. It's only an hour from, from Geneva Airport. So flying in, you're there very, very quickly. If you fly in in the morning, you can be skiing in the afternoon. Um, that makes it very easy.
0: Is there anywhere that you've gone to, like for other sports,
1: uh, F one races in different places, um, and they've been pretty interesting. And again, that wouldn't be something I'd go to a whole lot anymore. Um, I do like an experience, so I found uh, I found that I went to the World Cup in Tokyo, um, and I haven't really gone to. You know, I don't tend to go on Lions tours afterwards, or, um, but I found Tokyo unbelievable. I couldn't get over how well they did it. I I thought it was incredibly friendly. I thought it was different enough um to get really excited by it. I I went on one day with one of my friends. Um we got a we got a train, we went out to the mountains on, on the fast trains and got into a bus where we were the only uh, non Japanese on the bus up in up into the mountains went into a place where mostly nearly entirely Japanese tourists were going for part of their heritage, what it was like 150 years ago. And we didn't meet anybody else. We weren't meeting anybody, you know, any rugby people there. It was phenomenal. And uh, Shingayako was, was where it was. It was a living, breathing, old-style village. And then you had the older village, which wasn't living and breathing. It was like a museum for it on, on two sides of a river, that was extraordinary because it was just very different. And I liked that idea. And it was also very much in touch with nature, very much in the wilderness almost. Um, and for that, it was, it was amazing. And we planned to, to go back uh, that day and we didn't, we actually stayed for, we, we stayed, we booked a hotel and, and managed to, to get a place to stay, which was great. But for that, it was, um, I liked it because it was an insight into something very different. And you can see that stuff on a television and you can read it in a book, but actually it's very nice to to see it in person. And it was a bit touristy, but it wasn't, I didn't think in a bad way. And we hiked around all over the place on it too. So that made it really, it was just, it was an amazing, I love the culture, I love the idea of it. Um, I was doing some stuff with Heineken And they asked, will you do a samurai course? So I did a samurai course, which was amazing. I realized I had no flexibility in my wrists. I could have lost a thumb several times. Um, I also then did a a sumo um, uh, little course, which was very funny. Um, So I have a picture of a particularly large Japanese guy sweating all over me, which was disgusting. (laughs) Um, But it was brilliant. It was just... It was just it was just a little insight, and for I have to say no, there are experiences that uh, that I really like and, and it was funny I met up with a lot of the guys I played with over over the 20 years or whatever it was and, and the friends that you make over that we'd a sing song coming back in, in a minivan back from the World Cup final with uh, Brian Abana, and George Gregan and John Schmidt, and we were just roaring laughing all the way back, you know uh, just having a proper sing song. That's one of my memories of it. That's a very simple thing. That could have happened anywhere. It just had to happen after a World Cup final.
0: But also the fact that it was in Tokyo. You know, it wasn't a normal rugby country, you know what I mean? So it made it probably extra special for everybody.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, seeing uh, John Schmidt uh, looking at, um, he, he was the captain the last time they won the World Cup, and he's looking at it and he's saying, well, this means more to me than me winning it you know which was really interesting you know um and just thought the significance of sia khaleesi and some of the changes that were happening in south africa he just felt this was more significant so
0: the fate you're obviously famous for the lines tour boat lines tours particularly in 1997 especially with the the dvd that must have been an amazing experience to to go on that that first tour
1: the tour was great. It was I was twenty-five. Um it's a bit of a shock to the to the system. I was captain of Ireland going out. Um but when I came back my life changed an, an awful lot because um you you're, everybody was was tuned into that to that, you know, anybody who was a rugby fan. So that's another thing you have to take in. You don't make a presumption that everybody knows who you are, nor should you. But from a rugby perspective, people did that video gave me a bit of a shock because we never did any interviews to camera. So I didn't know I was in it until the final cut came in because were, there were was a camera 25 yards away, you know, half the time. So, yeah, so that made it very interesting as well. Um, I love the tour for for what it offered, but the level of possibility uh, to play with some of the players we played with and to be coached by those coaches was pretty fantastic. Um, so I love it. It was a long time ago, though. And in lockdown, I watched the games properly for the first time uh, since I played in them. I just, I've never really gone back to watch them, you know.
0: So that must have been an amazing experience then to get to watch it again. Did you watch it with your family?
1: They think I'm a little bit mad. The, the, the rules, the laws were different then, and I was a little bit mad. That's kind of part of it too. But uh, yeah, it's, it was great. It was actually great to, to look back on it. I remember things slightly differently too, which is interesting.
0: Why is it, what did you see differently in your head?
1: One oh, I could have sworn, hand on heart, that I that I was I knocked on a ball. I swore at the time. I swore to to, to in lockdown that I never knocked it on. There I am knocking it on <laughs> late as bloody day. But um, there you go. Whether it was selective memory or not, I'm not sure.
0: And it's funny on the DVD, um, because it was the first one. You know, people got a great insight to a tour. You know, all the other ones after that were probably a little bit more guarded. You know, you could see the players were aware, whereas the first one was very much.
1: I thought the I thought the guys uh, who produced the first one were brilliant because they didn't direct the camera to you. Um, so they asked me would I take a little handheld camera in '97. Um, I've uh, that's uh, the the. Uh, they offered me a handheld camera in 97. I said, no, I didn't want to to take it. Um, So some guys spoke to camera, but a lot of guys didn't speak to camera. And because of that, like we were all sportsmen, we weren't presenters. So if the camera picks up what you're saying and a microphone picks up what you're saying and you're not saying it to them, it's incredibly natural. The subsequent ones, they kept directing questions to the players and the players didn't come across as natural. I don't think they were guarded. I just don't think they're as natural. So in 2001, they gave us all a camera and said, you can use that. I left mine behind me. I never brought them with me. Um, I, Cause I didn't want to do it.
0: To yeah. You're right. It was much more natural. And that was, that. I presume, was that your first time in South Africa on that tour? Uh,
1: no, I'd been, I'd been previously for the world cup in 95.
0: Of course. Oh yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And, um, and like it's a it's an amazing country and going through unbelievable change that period of time and i became great friends with a lot of those south african guys afterwards
0: it's going back to south africa or next year i got an email the other day it was like you know the first round of uh ticket sales and it's a tricky one isn't it at the moment because it must be very hard planning
1: yeah i look i've made the decision very early that i wouldn't go um, only because the, um, I, I think you have to be very careful with the amount of travel that's happening, and we're uh, planning for things that may or may not happen. I think I'm happier to have it at some level of certainty. Um, my view for next year is to try and see more more of this country if I can. Um, uh, I normally fly every week, and uh, I travel a huge amount. Um, and uh, I've flown four times this year, which is an awful lot less than I normally do. You know, yeah. I normally fly four times even in a week. So um, it's very different.
0: It will be a very different experience if the fans aren't able to go, wouldn't it? So it's very, it was always very much part of the of lines, isn't it? That, that support. Uh,
1: it's part of it. And I, without, being, without being silly on it, it's part of the joy of the lines for the home country it's a huge boost to the economy. Um, it's a huge boost to the coffers of the host nation. Um, in fact, th- they tend to rely on this one every 12 years uh, opportunity. There's a big injection of cash into them. And that sounds really cold, but it's not cold. And uh, <clears throat> all those all those countries need that investment at the present moment in time so i think we're in a really difficult period of time for sport because sport is a wish but actually the longer we see that we're not going to matches the more we feel we need it as even a bit of of a little bit of well-being for us a little bit of that sociability that we have to have and we have to be very careful in the short term um, until such time as it is safe to do so so Look, I think when you're weighing up questions like that, it makes it very, very difficult. Yeah, I think it's a hard call to make.
0: Joe, you know what I've noticed over the last few weeks with um, players being interviewed, that every player has brought it up about it being a Lions year and about you know their performances in matches, etc. So they're very aware of it, and and obviously have a massive desire to do it.
1: It's the pinnacle of your performance. So emotionally, you could say. To play for your country is is more pulling the heartstrings. It definitely is, actually. But in terms of peak performance and highest performance that you can have in the sport, it's the lines. You don't have to weigh those up against each other. But you do know, and every guy who dances national jersey, if he wants to play at the top level, he will have to go and play on the lines because pretty much everything is stacked against you. So that makes it fantastic and it's rare. And if you're unlucky and... When you get selected or when you get injured, you may never go on a Lions tour. and um, It's one of those things that you do want to do, but you want to go on it and you want to win the bloody thing. So if you go on one and you don't win it, you really need to go again because you need to rectify that thing. So I think everything's stacked against you, even though you've got four countries and you have the best players from there. But you're still trying to get the best out of it. And now it's been squeezed all the time. You're trying to you know bond as a team within three weeks that's very difficult
0: if we assume it's going to happen if you could look in the in your ball how many players do you think will go next year from ireland
1: do you know what it's a tough one and it's not a tough one and it's funny because i don't get lots of friends for this next comment but um i don't care how many goes um that's not what it's about and um I remember somebody looking for a photograph of the Irish Lions. I said, "There's no such thing. There's Lions, you know, and you you can't wear your national jersey when you go there. Um, you wear the Lions jersey, and um, uh, you know. At times, we kind of uh, lose some of that bit of focus. You want, if all our players are playing well, we'll have a very good distribution of players on it, and." they have to be good tourists. You have to be able to pick up on what the coaches want. They're going to have to be able to do that very quickly to be a good line, you know, to be a test line. So it's not about going on a lines tour. It's playing in the test series and winning the series. So it's whatever is required to do that. And I think we've an awful lot of good players and it's changed a lot over 20, 30 years where we would always have a few players. Um, But we're close to the top of the tree in World Rugby, uh, both uh, as a national side and as um, inter-provincial sides. We're at the top of the competitions. We tend to be last four, definitely last eight. I, I don't think you ever make start making those calls. People ask me, will you pick your lines 15 now? And I say, no, I won't. I have no interest in it. And I'd like to see what happens in the Six Nations next year. Even in the internationals that happen now, they're going to be kind of unusual but let's see what happens next year let's see who are the guys that are putting their hands up who are the guys who are looking fresh and capable then we see what the what the team is going to be so what makes the lines fantastic is that it's unique at that period of time it's this group of players which you have done four years previously it may matter a little bit some people have a very particular temperament it's good enough to deliver again so maybe you could build that in but what you're really looking for are guys who are fresh and durable and have the mentality that will that will work on a Lions tour
0: and you know, we were talking about crowds and you know at Lions I think the, the most amazing atmosphere I ever saw uh, and watching the Lions game was the two it was the game in Brisbane the first game in Australia that was amazing wasn't it I mean it, I mean it was majority lines in that stadium I think
1: was, and, and uh, Australia changed it afterwards. They, they limited the tickets uh, immediately afterwards and uh, tried to fill the grounds with as many Aussies as they possibly could because they didn't expect to have that level of noise. But we couldn't go outside our hotel. I, mean, I, I know I've told you this story before, but... I snuck out of our hotel at one stage, uh, down the service lift, up the service ramp, out the back of a hotel, because there was a thousand people, Lions fans, waiting in the foyer, and all I wanted was a cup of coffee, you know, I'd been training too much, too many meetings, all that sort of stuff, and I bumped into a a Welsh family, uh, uh, mother, father, son, daughter, all dressed in Welsh jerseys. And I, I would try to run and try to get out of the way, you know. And they, they were waving at me and said, "Look, will you stop for a photo? So stop for a photo." I'm doing everything in my power to get away from them. I swear to God, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm not being rude, uh, but I don't want to talk to them. I want to get out of there. Um, I just need a bit of freedom. And uh, they were saying, "No, but you don't understand. Um, that This is our life holiday." And I said, I've never heard that expression before. Could you explain it to me? They said we've saved up all our life to go on a Lions tour, and this is our chance to go. You know, and I remember, <clears throat> I remember thinking afterwards, what a pain in the arse I am. You know, that I'm trying to rush away from these guys that they have after saving up for life, you know, and um, and it was. Well, there is a lot of that, by the way. There's a lot of people that make a huge effort to go, and um, like. I said you're in a bubble, and you are in a bubble, and you need to be in a bubble, by the way. But every now and then to step out of it is no harm whatsoever. And, um, but that atmosphere in that game was incredible. The, the change rooms are actually under the ground, and the, the ground was rumbling from the noise, and you suddenly step out into it, you go up the steps and you step out into it. Um, it was amazing, really amazing.
0: You were men man in the match that day, weren't you?
1: Well, would you believe, who would have thought it was, yeah. <laughs>
0: do you know what? I, I read that because um, obviously Brian O'Driscoll is famous for the try. That's kind of what's, what's in the memory. But you yeah. were actually... Well, I'll tell you what, and you could take
1: this for what you think or, or like or believe. Um, I don't know who picks Man of the Match ever. I do know it sometimes, the guys in the press. Um, I look back on that day. I played really well that day. I was very happy with it. But he was easily man of the match. <laughs> I would agree with your memory of it. By the way, um, I don't know that anybody pays any attention to that stuff. Really, you don't. I've had man of the matches when I've been pretty crap, and I've had—I've been given sort of bad ratings when I thought I've played really well. You know, and uh, I, the only thing that matters at that particular day was we won the match. Right, that's the only thing that matters.
0: Just out of curiosity, Graham Henry versus Ian McGeachin as coaches, are they very different coaches? Or?
1: Um, I would have said Ian McGeechan, um it's funny I was chatting to him recently and um, uh, I would have said he is the best coach I can envisage for the Lions and that he was a Lion himself. Um, there is a philosophical view you have to take on this that isn't entirely pragmatic, and he is pretty pragmatic, Um, but you have to trust the players, and you have to get the most out of the players and kind of get out of the way of the players because these are the best players that are there. And for me, um, he's like a kind of warm, fuzzy uh, jumper that you can put on. Uh, I just felt incredibly comfortable with him. I knew what he wanted. He got everybody to think in the manner in which he wanted us to think, and I thought he did an incredible job. Um, Graham Henry, for me, was different and um, I, like he did he he 's a really good coach i mean he 's a, a class coach, but we were wrecked going on that tour, and we overtrained on that tour. And because we're trying to do a technical, almost to get to a level of, of technical proficiency in a very short period of time, in my view, we got that wrong. And so philosophically, I would have said he was right. And technically, we were wrong because we were, we were all shattered going out there. We'd had a very long season. And then that particular year, we played a huge number of games, um, nearly twice the amount that the guys are playing presently. So we were we were shattered going out. We overtrained on it and we just if we'd taken a rest for three weeks, I think we'd have had a better chance. But we fell apart as that one went on. And even with all that, I'm unbelievably annoyed that we left that behind us, you know.
0: I think Warren Gatland, I think, has learned from that, hasn't he? That seems to be his style too. You know, to simple a simple game plan, yeah. not overwork the players.
1: No, and I think that's essential, you know, and there's elements of things that he has done that I haven't agreed with, but I haven't agreed with it almost philosophically from afar. But it's trying to, as as the game changes every four years, you have to make changes to it as well. So the guys need to be fit, but they need to be fresh. Uh, They need to try and play as one. So whatever you can do to get that to happen, is 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 what's necessary yeah
0: it's going to be very tricky this year the longest season ever i'd say won't it be by next summer hard to figure
1: what's happening at the moment yeah. that's uh, we're just kind of we're we're flowing from one season to the next trying to rectify different things that need to happen um i think they have to make a reduction in the games during the year this year uh, i don't know how they're going to do it but i think it's i think it's required because Otherwise, we're not going to see an awful lot of, of the top players playing at the end of the season.
0: Yeah, true. That's why it would be great if that Lions Tour can happen next year, because the world champions, you know, would make it so special.
1: Well, it often seems to be the case. that
0: Nearly every time, actually, for the last 20 years. You know, it's quite amazing. And uh, is there a particular country, you mentioned about West Clare and Ireland, like, is there a particular country that you have a preference for to go away to?
1: Yeah, I'm not... I love I like so I love going to the French French Alps. I think that's fantastic. Um <clears throat> one of the favorite cities I've ever been in, San Sebastian, which is um it's just just an amazing place. It's beautiful, the food is fantastic, um, it's friendly, it's that's an amazing place. Um but no, I would be I'm not a holiday person per se. I'm an activity person, so I'm not looking to go and lie in the sun with my skin tone. That doesn't augur well. And um, no, I but I do. I genuinely I look for places that are that are are relatively close by, places that are quite so I love it. We go hiking here up to Moilosa, which is the highest mountain in Clare, which isn't very high. Um, and you can walk to it from, from here and and you can walk up and back down from here in about four and a half hours from Killaloo or you can drive out there and kind of half run up and down it in a couple of hours um, but it's wonderful up there because it's a bit steep at the end you feel like you've done something substantial um, you can see so many different counties, it's like looking at the whole of Ireland um, there's even one on the other side in Tipperary in Town in And I remember doing uh, a start of the program in 2009 for the BBC, and we went up onto the top there. And because there's a a place there called the Graves of the Lenstermen, which is another story, Um, and uh, but you can see Leinster from from that mountain and um you can see six or seven different counties you can see down to Kerry Galway that's pretty pretty amazing but we we used it as being this is the whole of Ireland you can see the whole of Ireland from up here a poetic license and um, at the start to see whether it was Ireland's year to win the grand slam which they did then win which was lovely but it's it's a quiet place up there. Very wind, uh, wind and freezing cold on warm days. Um, it just takes all the cold air from that goes across Loch Derg. You know, it gets pushed up there. But it's um, it's a it's a cracking place. You just you see the whole lake open out once you turn up on on top of it. It's a beautiful place. So for me, that you don't have to go too far away to say. Um, that the travel is, is you can travel across the bridge to, to Tipperary, it's like a different exactly. country <laughs> and and know that that's on your doorstep, there's nothing wrong with that at all
0: True, so my last question is, if you close your eyes and take four deep breaths allow yourself to think of your happy place from your travels and where would that be? Right, I would go
1: to, we've mentioned it twice I would go to the very top of Ballycogoran is in, uh, in in the little hills just beside us in Killaloo there's a couple of different little routes and different little hills but there's a quiet space that you can go there and you're actually looking all the way up towards Galway and um, you see the whole of Loch Turk. you see the full the full size of Loch Terg. Um I think that's magic
0: I actually picked for me when I was doing it I picked Clahan and Clare yeah. So it's, it's, you know, yeah, you can't be Clare, have to say. Yeah, the it's funny. different.
1: And like, West Clare gets um, all the praise as yeah. it should do, because it's amazing. And, um, you know, when you go up to the burn, the burn is, is incredible. If you're looking for magical, the burn is, is magical. For me, the difficulty is if there's too many buses going on it, you can't get around it. So that's a bit frustrating. And I love West Coast of Clare in the wintertime when it's quieter. Um but, yeah, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting county. And I love I loved this side of it because it's beautiful. and There's lots of kind of running trails,
0: walking trails. That's why I asked you at the start of the interview about uh, tourists, because a few people uh, this summer recommended uh, Killaloo to me, you know, to go, because you know, everyone was doing staycations.
1: Do you know what? It was a really good, it was a Victorian holiday town. It was the end of the, the train line. So that train line wasn't here for very long. And there was a huge amount for fishing and fishing for salmon on the on, on, on the Shannon River, for salmon on the, on the Shannon River. But um, the hydroelectric scheme in the 20s changed that. And and it ceased to be that holiday village anymore. And now it's, I'm going to say, more commuters village. And it's better for that. It's got the infrastructure now has been building up for that to be the case. So it is, we still could do with more rooms for people to stay in. Um but it's often a place to stop by for a day or two. I think it's worth it. I think it's a lovely place.
0: Well, thanks very much, Keith. I really appreciate it. That's great. Thank you. Great to see you, Fargo. I would ask if you could please subscribe to Apple Podcasts so a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review as it helps others to discover this podcast. To find out who's on every Tuesday, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook Travel Tales with Fergal. Stay safe and keep dreaming of future travels. Travel Tales with Fergal